0: Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to remind you that this episode of the show is brought to you by The Good Story Podcast. The Good Story Podcast is my new show where I'm interviewing creatives, actors, actresses, models, authors, musicians, and others within the creative field to talk about their storytelling process and how they're having a big impact by telling good stories. The next episode releases this Friday, and you're not going to want to miss it. So go ahead and search in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts for The Good Story Podcast with your host, Eric Skorzynski. And now back to the show.
1: Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc now. Here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, guys?
0: Welcome to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I want to thank you guys all once again for tuning in. Uh, We have a great interview today with Ashley Ruiz. Uh, Ashley is a former member of Faith Baptist Church of Wildemar, California. Uh, This church has a long history of sexual and physical abuse and currently actually has four lawsuits against it right now and so that interview is actually really helpful she sheds a lot of light about the abusive environment within the church and the school and i think that interview is going to be really helpful but before we dive into the episode i just wanted to share an update regarding a very important case a lot of you are already probably familiar with cameron Giovanelli. he's a former pastor of the calvary baptist church in dundalk maryland uh, he engaged in a relationship with a minor he confessed as part of a plea deal and as a result, ended up facing only 90 days in the county detention center and five years of probation. Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm sad to report that he was released after serving only 51 days in jail. Uh, this information came out today, and um, yeah, it's just a very sad, um, it's just a very sad thing that the justice system uh, didn't even make a guy who committed such a heinous crime, served more than 50 days. He barely served half of his sentence. And I just think that's really disrespectful to the victim involved because it just sends out a, a message to every other abuser to say, hey, the consequences for this are not that great. And it sends a message to victims that um, justice is really not going to be carried out the way it should be. Um, and the thing that's extremely disappointing about all this, of course, is the reaction of major independent Baptist leaders. Uh, Alan Domel, his Twitter handle is at Old Past Journal. He decided to tweet around the exact same time uh, that this information came out. Um, I'd much rather be in the restoration business of restoring fallen lives than to be a wrecking ball that destroys fallen believers. Uh, and then, of course, Bob Gray Sr. decided to jump in as well and speak out about this topic. He didn't speak, again, didn't speak directly about it, um, but he did make kind of a slight uh, that it, it was toward his son. Um, Bob Gray the second is speaking at a conference with Stacy Shiflet, who's been a very outspoken IFB pastor when it comes to abuse. Um, and uh, Bob Gray Senior tweeted about the same time that the news about Giovanelli was released. Um, an image that says "Negativity is a choice, resentment is a choice, anger is a choice, revenge is a choice, optimism is a choice." Compassion is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Empathy is a choice. How we live our one given life is a choice. Choose wisely. And uh, he added the caption on there, avoid conferences that are opposed to restoring the fallen. We need more soul winners, not more Pharisees. And it's, again, it's it's very clear with the timing of these tweets and tweets in the past that these are guys who still support Giovanelli. Uh, they still reject the testimonies of the victims. And um, they don't want to speak out about sexual abuse in the IFB. And so um, it's just it's just disappointing. And I don't know what else to say at this point is these cycles of abuse keep happening for a reason. And I think that that reason can be found, I mean, quite simply with a lot of the attitude of leadership within independent Baptist churches. And unfortunately, I think also with The way the the legal system handles these cases and the fact that a man in his 30s can use his position and manipulate a sexual relationship with a minor is met with a, you know, 90 day slap on the wrist and five years of probation is pretty disgusting. And the fact that there are guys ready to welcome him with open arms is disgusting as well. And so I hope this show continues to shed a light on these kinds of cases. Um, my heart goes out to um, his victims. My heart goes out to those who have suffered sexual abuse in the church or physical abuse. Um, I just want you guys to know that we're still standing with you guys. And uh, it's it's just unbelievable what's going on with this case. Uh, but I wanted to give everyone an update in case you hadn't seen that on social. I just wanted to add this to the podcast uh, just to give you guys a quick update um, I know if you're listening to this, this is recorded February 26, 2020. Uh, so if you're listening to this way later down the road, this might date the episode a little bit, but I, I think it's too important to leave out and to not acknowledge in this episode. But I do want to go into the normally scheduled interview. Uh, I sit down, like I said, with Ashley Ruiz. Uh, she is a, um, she's an ex-member of the Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar, California with Pastor Bruce Goddard. Um, and, uh, so many amazing stories, um, and it just, the insanity of that church and the amount of abuse that's happened in such a condensed period of time is really, it's just incredible. And so I think you guys are really going to enjoy the episode. Um, I think she's, she gave a really great interview, some really great perspectives, and I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. So, um, stay tuned. We're going to go ahead and jump into that interview. Right now. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Voice podcast. Can you just really quick I know I gave a quick introduction, but can you just tell our audience um, what your introduction to the IFB was?
2: Sure. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be able to um, continue getting the word out there. I started going to Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar when I was about eight years old. And I was actually reached through the bus ministry. Um, I was sitting outside. I had spent the night at a friend's house um, up the street from my own house, and the bus came by to pick them up for church, and I was upset that I couldn't join them because I didn't have my parents' permission. So um, they asked me where I lived, and then the following weekend, they came by my house and asked my parents if I could come that week, which... Um, They said yes, and I went to church. I got saved, and when I got baptized, my parents um, came to church for the first time, Um, and that is when they both got saved, and um, at the time, uh, they both were into drugs, heavily into drugs. and there was just a lot of turmoil, I guess is the best way to put it, in our family. And mm-hmm. so they were, um, I wouldn't say they were looking for a church, but when they found Faith Baptist, they grasped onto it very quickly um, because um, both of them came from, I guess the best way to put it would be dysfunctional families. and so to To have that kind of family atmosphere within the church um, and people that they could rely on, they really just kind of, it was almost like they went from one addiction because they did end up getting clean, but then kind of, you know, flipped completely the other way. And we were totally in church. They took me out of the public school, put me into the Christian school. Um, and so everything you know our lives completely changed at that point
0: mm. uh, it's actually it's actually interesting you say that because I actually had someone else um on the show that who's I think it was actually uh Paul on the first episode and he talks about how the addictive personality really kicked into gear well with kind of the IFB atmosphere like it just basically went from like the addictive personality went from clinging to drugs to like kind of getting involved in like ministry. And so like the personality didn't really change. It was just like the output and the, the release, I guess, um, was a little bit different. Um, so what, so at the height of it, obviously like it started out of like, I mean, really started with you like wanting to be involved, like, and as a kid probably more so for, um, you know the games and excitement and like the friends than anything else but yeah um but obviously deeper, you know spiritually for for you and your family after that so like at the height of the kind of spiritual excitement or um I I use the word on the show a lot like buy-in to what they were they were teaching and sharing like if someone asks, like hey tell me about you or tell me about your church like how would you have described it at like the height of the positive experience with it?
2: Interesting question. Um, I think that, so I don't even know when the height was because it all changed so quickly. It was like, you know, things went from going, from being so bad to, like I said, completely switching. Um, You know, my parents bought in very quickly and they, um, my dad, they were both Sunday school teachers. My dad was a bus driver, um, you know, worked in the nursery, went out soul winning. Um, I was in the teen choir as as I got older. So I guess, um, I guess the way that we would have described it probably, and I I kind of already said this, but um, would be just like a really family atmosphere. I think my parents really tried to make it sound a lot more positive than it really was. Well, I think that at the time they actually believed that it was a lot more positive than it really was because in their right. minds, um, you know, they weren't doing drugs anymore. And so, and the church was pretty much the primary, if not the only reason for that. So right. um, I think when, you know, they would describe it to our other family members it was just like a good example that I can give is um, my brother got sick when he was in kindergarten and he was in the hospital for several weeks and um, the sickness that he had actually caused him to, to become paralyzed temporarily and he had to learn how to wow. walk, talk. Um, he couldn't read yet, but you know, whatever he had learned about that so far, he had to relearn everything. And I just really remember um, you know, the church did rally around us and people were providing meals and helping take care of us kids and um, you know getting us to and from school and things like that. And so I think that my parents just always focused on the positive um, because, like I said, it had it was so so much better than what it was before in a lot of ways. Um, but it kind of overshadowed. I think it made that made it easier for them to ignore or not look close enough at the negative things that were going on.
0: Right. And And so when you say it was quick, was it a quick drop from the high as well? Or like how many years were you in the movement until like you first noticed like, hey, something's not quite right?
2: So that's kind of how, that's kind of the the meat of my store, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, so we were in the, ter- so I started, like I said, going um, when I was eight, and you actually hit the nail on the head. It was because the main reason I wanted to go was because it was Goldfish Sunday. So I really didn't know <laughs> and, what I was getting into. <laughs>
0: and for for listeners who don't know what that is, can you explain what that is? Because that's a pretty common trope. Among bus ministries and youth groups, but there may be some who haven't had the great fortune of experiencing one of those. <laughs> what uh, <laughs> can you explain what that is?
2: Yeah, of course. So, um, at at our church, I don't know if it's the same from everywhere, but Goldfish Sunday was when he, every kid that rode the bus got to take home their own goldfish. Um, but there was also other things, like the bus workers would eat live goldfish and just all, co- I mean, it really, looking back, it, it was pretty weird, but, <laughs> <laughs> right, um, that was kind of the main thing, was that, was that I wanted to get a goldfish.
0: Right, um, so now that, that was just a detour I thought would be helpful for some people, um, <laughs> it is, that is a really weird thing, um, that's pretty common, um, but, so, so you got your goldfish, you, uh, You were eight when you first went, right?
2: Yes. So um sorry.
0: Oh, and then I was just gonna say, so at what um how many years of like good was there until you first were like, okay, something's wrong?
2: So when things started going downhill, I was sixteen. So it was about eight years. Okay. Of us being totally bought in. Um in those eight years i had i started going to the christian school in fifth grade um and i was i guess like what you could say would just be the ideal teenager in in their mind i I wanted to follow the rules. I had a lot of friends who were a lot more rebellious, but I was kind of the one that was scared to break the rules. Um, And definitely not perfect, but just, I think, because I, and my parents really were big on, um, you know, if you're going to go to the school, then you're going to follow the rules at home also. And so our household was kind of, united in that way whereas a lot of other people's parents kind of let them do we're a little more lenient at home than um you know than they had to be at school right but i surrendered to be a missionary or pastor's wife probably in 7th grade um i like i said i help, well i don't know if i said this yet but i helped in my parents sunday school class um as a teenager i worked in or i sang in the teen choir, all those things. And so I personally, even, you know, there's tons of families who are totally bought in and their teenagers aren't. (laughs) But that was not the case for me. Um, And, you know, I was going to Hammond Youth Conference pretty much every year, Mm -hmm. um, all of the teen camps. And I was, you know, my parents, my dad sacrificed a lot to put us in the Christian school so when it came to those things I was having to work for other church members um, so that I could earn the money to go to go so they those things meant a lot to me and I worked really hard to be able to do them um, and I remember um, and this this might be kind of jumping ahead so if you want me to fill in any gaps I can but okay um, probably when I was about 15 um another girl who oh and my dad was also a deacon okay and another deacon's daughter who I was friends with and would you know go over to her house once in a while brought up the subject of my space. and um I had no I had never even heard of it because I didn't even have a cell phone you know my my parents were pretty strict and, um, you know, we started talking and she said, oh yeah, me and my brother both have one. And so I was like, okay, this sounds cool. So I went on and I made it myself a MySpace. And then eventually, um, you know, there were several t- teenagers in our school that all had MySpaces. And um, there was no rule in the rule book that as far as I know, um, that said that faces were not allowed. It was talked about in church,
1: right. um,
2: but it wasn't ever, you know, it it wasn't something that I was aware of was totally against the rules. Um,
3: okay.
2: And now, to be completely honest, though, there was, you know, I was listening to quote unquote bad music and MySpace had bad music on it. Um, and I was kind of talking to this guy at the time and I had a picture, um, of him on my profile. And so anyways, fast forward a few weeks or months after I created the MySpace, um, at this point I was 16 and I got a friend request from a girl. We played the, um, and I think you might've been, were you at Lancaster at one point?
0: No, I, um, I went to a school in Beaumont, uh, or sorry, Banning, California. Um, Gotcha. We did, I did go to like conferences and stuff there, but I didn't attend, um, I didn't attend there at all.
2: Gotcha. Okay. So we used to play Lancaster and basketball and football and, um, they had a cheerleading team, which we never did. And I got a friend request on my face. And the picture was a girl in what looked to be a Eagles I think they were the Eagles uniform. Um and it said something to the effect of, you know private school girl in a crazy world or something <laughs> like that. Like just right. totally out there. Um and I added her and then she started messaging me and at the time i was 16 i was super naive i really didn't um i didn't have any critical thinking skills i don't think right. and i didn't catch on to you know the questions that she was, was asking me you know do your parents know that you have a myspace um do you right. do anything with your boyfriend mm. um and just things like that, and at the time, I was like, oh, no, I I had never even held his hand. I was like, no, we just text, and um, that, you know, that was about it, and um, so I had kind of befriended this girl, and fast forward even a couple more weeks, uh, it was a Sunday night service, and the whole entire sermon was about the evils of technology, Mm. and um the evils of my space. and all of a sudden I realized that my messages were being read from the pulpit
3: mm.
2: and come to find out um and there's speculation as to who this person um was we've been told that it was the principal of the school I can't of course confirm that um for sure i have a couple other people that i know um worked like in the computer lab at school and um so i don't know exactly who it was but it was a grown man that was talking to me i do know that and um asking me all of these questions and giving that information to the pastor and something important um well I'm kind of jumping around. So I'll kind of finish this piece and then I'll go back and and kind of give context. But, um, so, uh, Pastor Bruce Goddard is the pastor there and he, um, basically said that if you have a Facebook or a MySpace that you were not allowed to come back to school until you had been approved to do so.
3: Hmm.
2: And so I didn't go back to school the next day, and from what I learned, uh, it was me and only one other girl, and he said from the pulpit that he had a list of over a dozen kids that had at least one or both, Um, and from what I learned the next day, only me and one other girl were um, the ones that did not end up going to school that day. Uh-huh. and i ended up getting expelled and i was the only one that got expelled hmm. and um i was so confused because i, I didn't there was nothing different about my MySpace other than having a picture of this guy on there you know yeah. um but in terms of like the music um like everybody had songs on their profile and Um, What they ended up doing was taking a bunch of screenshots or, you know, images or pictures of um, Mm -hmm. my, my space and printing it out and then asking my parents to come in that it was the the day after the sermon, um, Mm -hmm. asking my parents to come in and sit down and talk to them. And they went over everything and there I had pasted some copy and paste you know, it was, it was something like, if you, if he loves you, he kisses you on the forehead. If he likes you, he kisses you on the cheek, like something stupid like that. And I it was a copy and paste. And one of those things at the end that said like copy and paste, unless you don't want love for the rest of your life or something like that. And so, um, they had put that on there or, you know, printed that out and showed that to my parents and, and, um, again, none of these were things that all of my friends that I was friends with were not also doing or posting.
3: Right.
2: Um, and then they also had it, it, all of this to say, they were really kind of grasping for straws here. They were trying to find something so terribly wrong with with my profile. Um, and it wasn't until actually last year that I um you know, was talking with an advocate. Um, of church abuse and or for church abuse, and it kind of all clicked why this all happened, but um which I'll get into, but they also pointed out they said, "Your daughter is talking to some random twenty two year old guy, and little did they know that was my cousin <laughs> <laughs> and um, so just a lot of of things that really didn't make any sense and right. I remember when my parents came home from that meeting and told me that I had gotten expelled, they weren't even, I mean, speaking specifically about my dad, he wasn't even that mad at me. And I think it was because he didn't really understand either, like, right. what, why, why is this happening? Um, and so to rewind and kind of put it um. And, you know, give more context. When I was in seventh or eighth grade, my mom was having a lot of problems with her, um, health and her, she was having a lot of neck and back pain and she ended up having surgery. And after that surgery, she fell back into addiction and she, um, was addicted to opiates, narcotics, and it was really bad, Um, Mm. and it had gotten to the point where, you know, it was obvious to people at church, and she went to, um, the church had something called RU, Reformers Unanimous, and it was kind of like an AA, um, but also very different, (laughs) and Um, it really didn't serve as anything for her other than a way to connect with other addicts, because these were just volunteers in the church that were um, hosting this program. They weren't licensed professionals. They had no experience working with addicts and helping them. They were basically just throwing the Bible in their face and Making them feel more guilty if if anything,
3: right.
2: not to say that there hasn't been success with that program, but right um, it definitely was not a positive thing for her because it got to the point where there were, I would say three women in the church that she would go to on a regular basis to get medication mm-hmm. and so um you know, it, it dawned on me when I was speaking with this advocate last year, it, and she really put, she also went to faith. And so she knew a lot more of the background and, um, you know, she kind of put it into perspective for me, but it had gotten to the point where my mom was a liability at church Mm. and they knew that. As far as their
0: reputation or?
2: Yes, as far as the reputation, because she couldn't be helped in their mind. Um, And just as far, I mean, she, for whatever reason, even though things had gotten so bad, they never asked her to step down out of her Sunday school class, Hmm. which that's a whole other issue with that church. Um, And, you know, there, there's no type of screening or anything done for their Sunday school teachers and also one thing that was interesting was that um, my parents taught bus kids and um, it always seemed you know now looking back with other people who have left the church they seem to put the troubled people um, I guess (laughs) would be the best way to put it over the bus kids
3: right
2: and which is just and you know I was a bus kid so even though I you know became a what they call drive in where I came with my parents you know to think that they valued those kids less than the kids of you know key members of the church is just heartbreaking
0: and why do you think there was that um that kind of like I don't know difference in how they viewed like or 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 I guess kind of like a caste system type set up, like why do you think there was that lack of value over that group?
2: Um, I think my opinion might be a little controversial, but I don't think that the bus ministries I don't think that they view the bus ministries. um How do I put this? as a way of helping people, I think that they view it, it's all about the numbers. It's all about how many people they can get on the bus. Right. Um. And and there are, I want to be clear, there are good people in that church. There were when I was there, and there still are good people there. Right. Um. And there are people that do care. But I'm talking at the top. It doesn't matter. The problems don't matter, you know, that these families are having. It's all about how many kids did we have on the bus, how many people got saved, did, you know, it it never it mattered if people actually understood what they were hearing when yeah. it in terms of the gospel um and the plan to salvation, it was just did they say the prayer?
3: <laughs> right.
2: And so I think that um for them, you know, it didn't matter. They could put those kids under people who maybe were I mean there in the last few years has been a child pornography case in that church. Um, and that that guy taught kindergarten boys, and that he this is since I left, so I can't confirm whether or not it was um, bus kids or not, but I'd be willing to put money on the fact that it was. Mm (laughs) um but also the other big reason is that they didn't want their own children to be influenced by these people who maybe weren't um I don't want to say good Christians because that's not the case there's plenty of good Christians that struggle with their own vices but they didn't want any possibility of their kids um i guess being influenced by these people who weren't living exactly how they thought they should be living is the best right. way to put it um and so sorry
0: so so you mentioned and if you have more um more that you wanted to share, then you can share that first. But I, I was just curious. So you mentioned um, you mentioned someone being arrested for um, possessing child pornography, and I'm I'm assuming you're referring to to Gerald Nelson. Is that the right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and like he's one of a few cases that have come out of that church. Were you Were you there for any of those, or were you kind of in before any of those came out and then gone after um after those came out
2: so um i technically yes i was there while it was happening and i was very close to the situation um okay my best friend was a victim of um victor montero who's now in jail okay and um it it I didn't know that at the time Mm. um I had an instance where I actually did see him leaving her house and Mm -hmm. I knew that her mom wasn't home and her dad wasn't home um And I had another friend in the car with me when this happened. And we kind of looked at each other because um, we had called and and let her know that we were on our way. And um, as we were coming down the hill, down her street, we saw his car pull out very quickly and speed away. And looking back, it should have been obvious at that Mm. point but um, we looked at each other, and she was also somebody that went to the church, but she didn't go to the school, and so she was, she kind of was more um, open to the fact that that could have been something bad that was going on, and I kind of shut it down immediately. and was like, no, there's no way. It's Brother Victor. There's, you know, there's no way, and so I, when I found out what happened, I told my best friend, um, you know, we're still really good friends to this day. And you know, I've definitely carried the guilt around for that. And um, it, it was just so surreal because looking back, and I've talked to so many girls um, from the school since then, who have shared their stories with me as well of just moments when it was obvious that he was testing the waters with us. I mean, he definitely started off very subtle, and um, you know, in my case, one instance that I remember is I had been house sitting for actually the same friend who was a victim of his um, for her parents and. Um, he was very close to their family. And so he knew that they were out of town and I hadn't, this was actually after I had left um, the church or I would only go maybe every once in a while. And he sent me a picture of the purity card that I had signed at Hammond news conference one year. Hmm. and at the time, again, I just thought, oh, he's just trying to remind me, you know, he probably thinks that I'm off doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And he's just trying to remind me to, you know, stay on track. And looking back, I mean, it just feels so obvious that he was trying to see what I would say, like, you know, in terms of like, well that went out the window or something like that to see if it would open a door and allow him to do what he wanted to do
3: um
2: and then there were other instances just of you know I actually talked to a girl recently who said that he would always rub her shoulders or um you know kind of one of his things that he would do is he would kind of like punch you a little bit like but more and it was more of like a flirtatious like punch in the shoulder kind of like right. just really weird. <laughs> but looking back, we all were so accustomed to it, we thought nothing of it. Right. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I was around for that. Um, but it wasn't clear to me at the time that any of that was happening.
0: Was it did anyone in and and maybe you wouldn't have seen or Or heard of this but was it something that you noticed anyone else in the church picked up on did adults ever say anything or even parents like or was it just kind of like just so accepted that it just kind of went by on its own
2: in terms of victor um it was it was mainly just accepted and he Mm -hmm. was looked at like everybody looked at him like he, you know he's just so good with the teenagers. that and even after all of this came out people were still saying that you know like you can't forget all the good he did what? And, and oh yeah oh yeah it there was I think it was the Spanish pastor um that said that that you know we can't forget uh, how many lives or we can't forget how many lives he's touched and they just
0: literally Um, (laughs)
3: exactly
2: it's like and
0: it's like yeah that's such a weird like and I don't I hope that it didn't at all come out flippant but like that that that's such a weird thing to say like it's such a weird like remember all the people he was really nice to it's like well yeah he was trying to groom people it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of like Like maybe he's spending a lot of extra time with teenagers because he's trying to do something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just a backwards way of thinking. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's just a weird, it's such a weird statement to make and it it totally misses the point of like how abusers function and work.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think that that, you know, that is really the culture in the church right now. The people that are still there are, you know, I had, um, you know, I know that somebody reached out to my friend and basically, you know, asked her if the pastor wasn't there, if they would drop the lawsuit. Mm. Um, and I'm referring if, uh, to... If
0: Bruce Goddard wasn't there?
2: Yes. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm referring to the four negligence lawsuits that are out there right now. Right. Um, and I hope that she's okay with me sharing this, but her response was no, because the church has known, I mean, they, the people that are still there, they have known about this and they have chosen to remain completely ignorant to the details. They just take what they're given by the pastor, um, which is very little. And he's also flat out lied about details to his congregation. Um, and, and I mean, there's videos of it for, of him at the pulpit saying that he wasn't given information until X date when in Mm -hmm. fact he had been given information months before that. And go ahead.
0: I was just going to say it, it really is like, it's that mindset of, you know, it, it, it takes a village to raise a child, but like it, it also takes a village to abuse one. And like, regardless of whether Like, and like you said, there's going to be people who had no idea this was going on, good people, but like it would be incredibly difficult for no one to have any inkling of something, even if it's just a weird gut feeling. Like, a lot of people had to suppress understanding or knowledge of what was going on in order to allow him to keep doing what he was doing. And totally, you know, and I definitely think like you know I, I try to be careful with like making like assumptions on the show but like it just seems from the stories I've heard from victims from like just the statements put out like it just seems like especially with like the main leadership that there was a lot more understanding of what was happening than is being let on.
2: 100 percent and um, especially with with these particular cases, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the negligence lawsuits that are out there right now.
0: I'm not incredibly um, familiar with it. Um, the the people involved, I haven't gotten to really speak to yet. So um, so I'm not super familiar. I'm aware that they're there, and I'm aware that they're they're filed up against the church. But I I don't know much regarding the specific details.
2: So um, my friend was. I think the second um she was one of one of the earlier ones to come forward after that I mean, there's only four negligence lawsuits, but there were there were a lot of girls that came forward and and spoke wow. with the investigator um And, of course, you know, I don't know who those girls are. And one thing that's really amazing about my friend and and what she's doing is that she really cares about people's privacy. And so even people that came to her with their stories, um, she doesn't turn around and and try and use it as, because that is, it's evidence in her case. Um, And, but... At the end of the day, for her, it's more about just giving people a platform. It's not about winning this lawsuit.
3: Right.
2: Um, but so this there's three negligence lawsuits that are against Victor. And then there's one that is against Paul Fox, who was the youth pastor or the principal. I'm not quite clear. Um 'cause it was like twenty years prior to me being a part of the church. Right. But what is interesting, um, I mean, there's a lot of interesting facts about that case, but not only did Bruce Goddard he he knew. Like she he found out and I, I can't remember now exactly how he found out. I think the victim ended up telling him but that could be wrong. Um but I do know that eventually he he was made aware of the situation. And they blamed her and they, when I say they I'm referring to Bruce Goddard and his wife actually was involved as well and they blamed mm-hmm. the girl. And then they turned around and packed him up, got him a U-Haul mm-hmm. and sent him on his way and that girl, um, who's now you know a grown woman, actually was Victor's sister-in-law. Wow. So he used that story to keep his victims quiet. And he would mm. tell them that if you tell anybody my family's gonna get sent away and you'll never be able to see us again and things like that. And so it was a huge piece of his manipulation um, strategy, I guess, um, with his victims. And so, and there's been I mean, there was also another woman who I don't know personally that came forward, um, I want to say last year, okay. it could have, it's kind of all merging together now, but, <laughs> um, and she actually was a victim of another man in the church. And she said that she also brought this to Bruce Goddard's attention and the man was just asked to stop coming.
3: Right.
2: And so, you know, the congregation, it, they are just so focused on the fact that Bruce Goddard did not know about Victor when it was happening. But he, he enabled it by not mm-hmm. addressing these issues in the past. And then on top of that, I mean, he was a youth pastor and his office, was in a back corner in a random hallway with a solid wood door Yeah. and so they did absolutely nothing to protect you know and i can attest to i had been in his office for counseling by myself on multiple occasions and i you know anything thank god nothing happened but i mean we were all anybody that was in his office alone could have been a victim you know just as easily because there was nothing put in place to make sure that he wouldn't be doing that
0: right yeah no i mean it's it's such a like all the stories that have come out of there like and um I mean, I've talked to people off record. I've talked to, I've, I've read obviously a lot of articles and like I can link to some of those in the show notes for people listening. Um, but they all just stem back to like such one, such poor prevention at the church. And then also like there's so much that just constantly gets swept under the rug over and over and over again, whether it's like uncomfortable behavior, whether it's a victim coming forward, and um, it's it's just it's shocking that there's so many cases that come out of this particular church. Like on the on the abuser database through the Preacher voice site, like there's several names all under that church. But then when you really dive down to like what they react to this kind of stuff with, it's no it's no wonder that they've been a magnet for these types of people. And exactly. um, yeah, I mean, so, so you, once all this, you said you left before this news um, or not news broke, but before like the actual legal steps were taken, did you leave because it was so things were getting so weird or was it something you just left and then it came out and you were like, oh, that makes sense. Like what was kind of the exit from this church?
2: well after i got expelled um so my my own story is more about spiritual abuse than um physical abuse because even to this day i struggle with knowing exactly where i stand on my own beliefs and and religion and faith but after i got expelled um i mean the rumors started flying I was pregnant, apparently, Um, other things were being said, and obviously none of that was true, but um, it kind of, it was, this. it slowly started to get to me, and I saw the way that people looked at me, Um, you know, I still, I thought, actually, that I was going to get expelled and then be able to go back for my senior year. So I started doing, um, paces at home, um, which is just, you know, like a Christian homeschool curriculum type thing. Right. Um, and I really wanted to be able to go back, but then, um, I actually, I, I slowly just, I started to feel like I didn't fit there anymore. And my dad kept going to church. My mom had already kind of been in and out just due to her addiction. I mean, she was usually like pretty out of it. So Um, she wasn't going consistently, but um, my dad went for a long time. And I mean, he kept teaching his class and driving his bus route and counting the offerings and you know, this is a man who was working seventy hour weeks and devoting every every other bit of time that he had to the church basically. Um and like I said, it just kind of started to feel wrong. And so I I slowly stopped going and then eventually the rest of my family slowly stopped going. And I think that that that's kind of why when when I was told that it was due to my mom's addiction, that it all kind of clicked for me because I was sort of the glue that kept my family there. Um, right. You know, I was the one that started going, and then I was so gung ho, and I wanted to go to Hiles Anderson. And I look back, and I'm so grateful that I did <laughs> that I didn't.
3: Right. Um,
2: and so, you know, everything definitely happens for a reason, but. Um, and I'm maybe sidetracking now, but I just it it wasn't that I necessarily caught on to any abuse. um, and I didn't even recognize it as a as spiritual abuse until recently. And the one thing about all of these sexual assault cases that have come out is that they've also opened the door for people like me and lots of other people. Um, with their own stories, who didn't understand why they were so hurt and so bitter. Um, They knew, like, like, I've always known that the church affected me, but I didn't quite understand, like, why it hurt me so badly, everything that happened. And so since these cases and, you know, more people coming out and talking about their own stories, it, it's really, And with this podcast too, I mean, just listening to episodes of your podcast, I relate to almost every single story in some way. And um, so I think it's really important to to recognize, I mean, obviously, the sexual assault cases are huge and and should be talked about, but there's so many other kinds of abuse that is going on within IFB as well.
0: Well and, and the physical and sexual abuse doesn't happen in a vacuum like there has to be a emotional or spiritual foundational like flaw that either enables it covers for it or produces it and I think we're seeing more and more with these cases that there there needs to be some question about like is there something producing this like when a church has three four five six you know predators, Coming out of it, at a certain point, you have to say, like, what is the church producing, or what is it fostering? You know, and and unfortunately, that's where a lot of conversation breaks down. Is that when you suggest that maybe it is the theology, maybe it is the philosophy of the ministry, then people say you're attacking, and it's like, well, maybe we're just trying to figure out why this keeps happening and why these people like feel so comfortable in these environments because it's said over and over it's like it's about as cliche as saying thoughts and prayers for someone Mm -hmm. is is there's nowhere someone should feel safer than a church. And that's true, but like that's one of like the most uncomfortable places to be. And I think that there really has to be a question of like why has Faith Baptist Church of Wildemar, California produced so many of these cases? and why are the people who are leading the church not coming out full force saying like this does not represent us instead it's it's think of the good ignore the bad and just hope and pray it doesn't happen again
2: yeah totally that's such a good point and a really good way to look at it and um you know this again may come off a little controversial but I, don't, I can
0: I can assure you that it's not more controversial than the last few episodes of the show <laughs> so so
2: um I just don't want to ruffle any feathers, you know no, of but course. <laughs> i I don't think that I think that Bruce Goddard probably started off with good intentions. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that even though he's a Branch off of Jack Hiles' tree. Um, you know, I I don't think I'd like to hope that he didn't start off this way. <laughs> but I truly believe that now it's all about the money, and that goes back to the numbers. And of course, the numbers of the church don't, when it comes to like bus kids and stuff, don't necessarily tie directly to his paycheck. But when you look at it from a standpoint of someone like me, where I was a bus kid, where my parents were brought into church via that avenue and they became tithing members. And when I say that my dad sacrificed to put us in the Christian school, he never missed a tithe check. And I saw him drop it in the plate every single week. And so. I truly believe that they've been having the same building fund since at least since I was in fifth grade. I think it even started before that. I'm pretty sure it did, but I can attest to the fact that the building fund started when I was in fifth grade. I'm now 28. I was 10 at that point so it has been 18 years of them raising money for a building and they have a concrete slab Hmm. and he the bruce goddard makes six figures he takes home a lot of money right and you know he and his wife drive nice cars and they're gifted i'm as far as i know they were gifted their house that they live in now i mean people would bend over backwards to give the man of god anything that they possibly could from cars to checks to people would donate buses and just sacrificing so much for what they think is the work of god when in reality what do they have to show for it? Their, their congregation is, has been quickly declining. Um, I mean, they don't even really need a new, a new building anymore, but where's all that money? And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's, it's sad. And I've talked to my dad about it because like I said, he was a deacon. And at first, my dad's the kind of person. Um, he doesn't like to say, you know, anything negative, or right. he kind of likes to just um, stay in his own lane, I guess. And so, I kind of tried to get information out of him, and and he would just say, you know, that sometimes they would vote on taking money out of the building fund for other things. But, I mean, I I think that there's a much bigger problem there that either my dad wasn't aware of or, you know, just maybe doesn't want to talk about. I'm not sure.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's such a weird, yeah, it's such an interesting place and such a weird, like all of these ministries, like it's hard to, it's so hard because there is such little transparency that it's so hard to like really get to the bottom of so many of these questions. And that's yeah. one of the most frustrating things doing this is like, there's a lot of things that look so weird that you, there's no way to find out for sure. So you have like the very clear things on the surface and then you're like trying to diagnose like why and then when you start digging into it, you're like, it's so protected and there is no accountability to the leadership and there is no accountability to the, the church itself. That's part of the whole independent thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, since I've started doing this, like, I mean, Faith Baptist Church um, was like barely on my radar until I did this like I knew they existed and like I had like we had crossed over at some events and stuff but like I never I never really knew that it was like this (laughs) that it was the way it is you know yeah and now it seems like there is like this floodgate of like like you said like there's someone that came out for the first time this year and it's like there's I'm curious to see how much more comes out of this one um and it's, I even know somebody and I won't say her name cause like, I don't know that she'd want me to say her name, but, um, I even know someone locally. And when I posted about, um, when I posted about Victor's case or when I put, po- I just posted generally about abuse within the church. And she said, was it some guy named Victor? And I was like, um, so I like checked and I said, yeah. And she said, yeah, he always got really weird vibes from him as a teenager. So many like, people say
2: that, <laughs> right,
0: and it's like, man, you know what I mean? like it's just crazy to me, like the amount of people that either saw something, experienced something or like had a weird sense as like a teenager, and yet he was able to stick around for so long, um,
3: oh yeah,
2: and,
0: and the church is still i mean that is a weird thing, and like you've hit on a little bit, but like, what do you think is keeping people there like why how are they still going? with all of this baggage on top of them.
2: I think that, well, what I was going to say that kind of ties directly into that question is that the other thing that's really frustrating is that people don't ask questions. Right. And, you know, and I was just as guilty. So I'm not saying that to point any fingers. You know, I saw Victor pulling out of her driveway and didn't do anything about it. So we all have, have made mistakes when it comes to this, th- these situations. Right. But now, you know, at that point I had, I literally, I just, yeah, maybe I had gotten weird vibes as a teenager, but also we were taught that he was the man of God and, and we listened to him. Yeah, you don't and have a right obey to question
3: him. why were you right. doing? Or what were you doing?
2: Exactly. So, but when it, but now that, you know, there's, there's four public lawsuits. It's public information. People can go out there and get it if they want it. And they, they don't want it.
3: Mm-hmm. They
2: they just want to look the other way and, and not to be redundant, but they want to focus on the good. And it, I just, it's really sad because there's, I don't really have any close I mean, I'm not close to anybody there anymore. But there are people that are still there that I was close to at one point. And I know that they're smart people. And I know that they're they care about other people. But I can't figure out why they won't ask the hard questions. And there's even been people around my age who have said that if pastor goddard doesn't do this then we're gonna leave the church and you know he still hasn't done whatever this was that they referred to and they're still there and Mm. i don't know i mean i think people are staying because it's a security blanket in a way like it's where they feel comfortable and it's scary for them to go to a new church or be out in the real world. And like, I know that going, I actually, the reason that I decided not to try and go back my senior year was because I ended up getting into um, beauty school while still being in high school. And so I um, started doing that and for anybody that's familiar with beauty school, I mean the culture there is very different than uh, <laughs> a I of b church and so I started rebelling a little bit and um, you know drinking and smoking and things like that and i um, i I lost my train of thought, but i I don't know why people could still stay there I I I don't have an answer for that question and it's honestly one of the things that is so frustrating to me because like I said there are still good people there and I I really do believe that I don't think they're making good decisions um but hopefully they will see the light and
0: yeah well I mean hopefully the more coverage that comes from like even the show and like with the lawsuits and I know, you know, with so many of the the people that have left are being so vocal, and it's really cool. Um, I mean, hopefully, it raises a lot more, a lot more awareness. And like, I mean, at a certain point, you can turn lights so bright, like there's no excuse to stay. Um, right. No excuse for a place like that to still be operating. And so, um, yeah, hopefully, this can help raise some awareness toward that. Um, I, I guess my last two, and you kind of you kind of answered this this question a little bit, so you don't have to spend too much time on it. But um, what would you say to anyone who is still there um, and is like either scared to leave or justifying that they're still there? Um, what would you say to someone still stay in the pew? And then I guess just on the back half of this question, do you think there's hope for? the IFB as a whole, or do you think this church is an anomaly, or do you think that there's something wrong, like foundation with the movement? Um, And then uh, I guess that would be like the two, the two questions I'd be interested to hear you answer about that.
2: Sure. So in terms of what I would say to anybody that's still there, um, I don't know if it's like this in every church, but I do know that Bruce Goddard was very good at making us Feel like and I, I think it is this way in every IFB church making us feel like the rest of the world was pure evil and that anybody who was not in an IFB church was of the devil basically um and what I want people to know is that there are amazing Christians outside and people in general outside of IFB. There are people who don't drink, don't smoke, don't party. You know, I mean, read their Bible. They serve God. They go on missions trips. I mean, there there are so and and I've seen this more so in the last couple of years as my heart has softened a little more. Um, But God is not what they teach. Him to be at at least at Faith Baptist Church. And I, I understand that now. Right. And I wish that everybody there could understand it. Because um, you know, like I said earlier, I'm still working on that relationship myself. But even in in the minimal relationship that I have right now, it's a thousand times better than what it was.
3: Right.
2: And so I just want people to know that it's not it's not as scary as as they make it out to be. Um, and then in terms of can it be reformed, um, I don't think so. I I don't think this church is is a one off. I think that there are plenty of other churches out there like that. I mean, we had churches that would come to our summer camps and. I mean, I don't know how many churches would go to Hammond Youth Conference, but all of those churches share similar values and they might not all be the same. One thing that I found interesting listening to your podcast is every church, you know, because they are independent, kind of has their own set of weird rules or maybe like a weird rule that is, is specific to them. But as a whole, the culture in general, I just think that they've gotten, and this kind of goes back to what I just said, but they've just gotten so far away from God and what God really is and what he really wants for us in our life that I don't think there's a chance. I think that, I mean, I yeah, I I just don't think there's a chance for them to reform. Right.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, is there is there anything else that you want to add? Is there anything else that you think people should refer to or look into? I mean, obviously I'm going to link to um, as many articles and, and links as I can in the, in the show notes here. And of course, everybody listening, you can always go over to preacher boys doc um, preacher boys, com and look at the list there. Um, it has some links to some of the news articles and such, but um, is there anything else you would refer people to any resources or, um, like news stories that people should keep an eye out for, um, or any other information you think would be useful to the audience listening?
2: I would just say that um, I wish I was more prepared with specific uh, news articles, but they are out there. If you Google, you know, Faith Baptist Church in Wildemar, you'll see it. <laughs> it's there. Um, okay. And just, I I know that, um, and
3: this is not at all
2: why I, I'm on here, but people are, are more than welcome to reach out to me. I've done another video with another advocate in the past and had people reach out to me with questions. And, you know, I'm not, this isn't about tearing anybody down. It's about honestly saving people from what is going on inside of these churches. And um, you know i'm happy to be a resource for anybody, and I know that um, the survivors of um, Victor and the other men in this church are also huge advocates and I won't give their names, but um the news article you know all of that information is out there, so there are people that are willing to talk and, and no judgment um, even if you just want the information to make a better. Educated decision for yourself. I mean, it, it's there, and there are people who are willing to help.
0: That's so awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for for sharing your, your perspective and your your story. I know it's not always um, necessarily a fun thing to to rehash or or to talk about, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective. And I think that's I think going to be really helpful to uh, to people who are listening. Um, and yeah, definitely, uh, send me a link over to the the video you did. Cause I'd love to link to that as well. Um, so people can check that out.
2: Sure. Definitely. So.
0: All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, Ashley. Once again, thank you so much for, for being on the episode with me. Uh, if you guys have any questions or want to see more info, you can always visit uh preacher boys doc that's preacher doc.com also check the show notes. There's going to be a plethora of articles, links, and uh, resources for you guys to check
1: out. And so I hope you'll do so. All right, guys. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.